Hi, James. Ben, how are you? Doing okay. Doing okay. Two days. I, I always forget about the the moving is one thing, but then the cleaning up the old place is another, oh, and it yeah. is arguably even worse than the moving. So yeah, it's it's been a it's been a busy few days for for me. But I I am ensconced in the new office. We have yet to move our house. I've only moved my office. But mm. uh, but yeah, hopefully hopefully it will have a positive impact on on this podcast. Very good. Congratulations on the move. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I want to quickly thank our sponsor, WordPress.com. We're excited to have them as our sponsor. Did you know, James? Interesting, interesting fact: twenty eight percent of all websites run on WordPress. Uh, you can, and what's great about WordPress.com is you can get started there. They take care of everything. You don't need experience. They guide you through the process from start to finish and take care of the technical side to get your site up and running. Customer support team is available 24 uh, 7 to help you with your site. Plans start at just $4 a month and they include a custom do- domain name for the life of the plan. And what's great is that the, not all 28% of those websites are on WordPress.com, but they are running WordPress, which you can start on WordPress.com if you want to do something more in the future. You can always, you know, do your own site like StreetTechery runs on WordPress. Uh, and it's just a great place to get started. So go to WordPress.com slash exponents to get 15% off your website today. That's WordPress.com slash exponents. And our thanks to WordPress.com for sponsoring Exponent. Thank you guys, as always. So I, I I got I got a little rowdy I got a little rowdy yesterday that where <laughs> I was I was going to just do a daily update and then Amazon along with you know, Berkshire Hathaway and J P Morgan Chase announced this this sort of healthcare initiative which it was fascinating because it was announced and immediately like all the stock prices like all the insurance companies uh-huh. fell through the floor what was announced was was very sort of like it wasn't much like oh we're gonna we're gonna form a group and. We're going to find an executive and a name and a headquarters and do some technological solutions. And if you actually like read what they're proposing, it was very, it was very modest. Yeah, it, it was just a tentative toe in the water. Uh, and, and the, the reaction actually wasn't surprising to me so much because, uh, and we'll get into this, I'm sure. Last week we asked for, we asked for questions from our listeners and, uh, kind of, I was a little surprised at the time when it happened. There were all these questions about what about Amazon in healthcare or what about Amazon in education? And these questions were coming prior to this announcement. And if people uh, who are listening to this are starting to think in that vein, uh, the reaction of the markets that Amazon is actually doing it, it seems less surprising. Like it seems like everybody was thinking about this but me. Yeah, I was surprised as well. And and I know we said last episode that we we're going to do an all Q&A. And the idea was because I wasn't going to do a weekly article this week. This would kind of substitute for our usual topic. But mm. I did do a weekly article, but we also got questions about it. So we can kind of do both. And mm. uh, I think we we probably will still have the pure Q&A podcast uh, in the next couple of weeks because uh-huh. – uh, but, but today I, we were, we're kind of – I think we can kind of do a hybrid. So uh, Amir Harris asks, how does Amazon enter the healthcare market successfully with similar <laughs> strategies that were used for other areas like e-commerce and AWS? And again, he, he sent this question before this announcement. We got another one from uh, Claude Hanal. I apologize if I got any of these pronunciations wrong. Uh, that is, uh, what is the possibility likelihood Amazon could expand to entirely new fields not well served like education, healthcare, et cetera? And it, I mean, it was really striking that, again, I was surprised that to get these questions. But then as, as, I, as I kind of thought about it like if if my thesis is that Amazon's trying to basically take a cut of all economic activity mm. well healthcare is sort of an inevitable target because it's such a huge part of of the US in particular something like 17% of GDP yeah and and the the strategy that they've built up of figuring out how to be their own best customer first and figuring out how to do it as if 
like across interfaces as if it's an API call, not having meetings so that once you figure out how to do it well for you, you can just flick the switch and do it well for anybody else. It would seem that that model lends itself particularly well to healthcare in this instance. Yeah, and that's what was so interesting. And, and we should probably put a sort of a big disclaimer up at front Very here. <laughs> yeah, like neither of us are healthcare experts. I think we both know enough to be slightly dangerous and 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 get <laughs> details, you know, get get some big things right and some details wrong. So mm-hmm. first, we ask for forbearance. Two, I don't think we're gonna we're not setting out to solve healthcare in this in this podcast by any means. But rather, I think to kind of take our usual lens of thinking about incentives and mm. and and how these companies. work work and opportunities that are that are sort of possible given the internet and stuff like that like what what might amazon be up to and that's that's sort of like the tech i was trying to take in this article and again i i, I get in this more and more like people are like oh so you want you think it's great that facebook has power and you want amazon even more power i'm like no i i, I didn't make any sort of moral claim about whether it's a good thing or a bad thing rather the point of what i wrote and i think we're going to talk about today is like thinking about how might this play out what might be sort Mm -hmm. of big picture and and you're exactly right like if you think about the amazon's strategies that we discussed just last week and and have discussed previously like how might that tie into this announcement and i think actually the modesty of the announcement is in some senses almost a it actually fits surprisingly well with with how this might play out given the way they've approached other industries. Yeah, totally. I I mean, I think it's if you were going to do it just for yourself or just on a limited basis to begin with, that's exactly what you go to the market and say, we're thinking about this, uh, but it's not necessarily going to be something that's broadly available yet. Well, I mean, well, if if it's not going to be a big thing, where are you going to do it? Oh, look, just similar to what you might have done in the past. So I, I agree. I think it, it it is in keeping with how they've approached these th- these types of things in the past. The one thing that really jumped out to me about this announcement was this idea of building these sort of upfront sort of technological solutions for 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 serving, you know, ba- basically patients. And they're going to start, you know, they they framed it as starting with their their employees and things along those lines. But what was so interesting about that, about saying that the initial focus will be on technological solutions that will provide U.S. employees and their families with simplified, high quality, and transparent healthcare at a reasonable cost, is the way I interpreted that is they they're sort of creating a front end for healthcare, mm. if that makes sense, where you go where you you go up to one place, you manage it, and this isn't a new thing. Uh, both Google and Microsoft have. In, in the last decade have done initiatives around like your own healthcare vault and, and things along those lines. And I think, you know, a problem with those is, you know, where is sort of the in, incentive to to use them? Like you have, it requires a lot of work on the patient side because none of this stuff is integrated in the back end and there's lots mm. of regulations around privacy and sharing data. And so the, the patient is kind of like the, the, you know, the linchpin here, and, and, but without sort of backing into the rest of the system, there's it just, it just didn't work, and they both kind of flopped. Uh, and what's interesting about the the Amazon idea is if they if they start out doing it for their employee base, and the Amazon employee base is is huge. It's far it's far huger than any other tech company because of all the fulfillment centers. So I mean, Amazon like Amazon has over five hundred thousand employees, and not all of them are in the U.S. But again, they're a much more sort of U.S. centric company in part because the sort of physical aspect of their business is something we talked about last week. You know, they're they're not a global company in the way that most tech companies are. I mean, obviously they've expanded to more and more countries, but 
you know, they're, they're still one, they have way more employees and two, they're way more sort of US centric. And that is a limitation in some respects. But when it comes to something like this, like they're starting out with with a sort of big base that they can, you know, experiment on for for sort of, you know, lack, lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this is it. They wouldn't be the first employer to start self-insurance. Like once you reach a certain scale, or, and at least in the past, some of these big organizations of like, we can do it better than a third party. And in fact, interestingly enough, I think that's how Kaiser Permanente got its start as it was... Um, it's uh, started. Uh, it started for workers in a Richmond, California shipyard, and this this industrialist wanted to keep his workers happy. And then eventually, it opened up into the public. And uh, this might not be the first time I mention Kaiser because I'm fascinated by them from an incentive point of view when it comes to healthcare. But we'll get to that later on. Yeah, no, but I think you you made a great point. Is that this is act uh, this is actually the case for large employers. They they th- when they deal with the insurance companies, they're usually u- using the insurance companies more as like administrators but they're but they're often they will have their own risk pools like so amazon has 500,000 employees that's a huge number where instead of sort of being in the broad population risk pool they can kind of have their own and manage like take care of the back end th- themselves the financial aspect and then they mm-hmm. engage the insurance company to do all the management of the provision of care and the hospitals and the service network and all those sorts of things and you know what what's what's so interesting about this is if that's sort of already the case, we have these large companies that are bearing the financial cost on one side and they have all the employees on the other and they're using insurance companies sort of to be the, the middlemen on their behalf. I mean, if you almost think about it, there's some aspect where, you know, again, I, I, I'm i being a little loose with aggregators and because the my definition is about sort of information and the, the zero distribution cost. But this idea of sort of controlling demand, there's mm-hmm. a, you know, there's an aspect where that's what insurance companies do. They, they sort of collect a bunch of people and then they 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 leverage that base to negotiate with hospitals, negotiate with providers, to negotiate with with pharmacy providers. But you think about this if you already have this this system where you know you you're paying for it and you have the employee base, Amazon's like, well, you know what? What if we sort of slide in an interface in the front where our employees can start interfacing with with our system that we build? Mm-hmm. And sure, you insurance providers can still help us administer it on the back end, but we're still paying for it. Like You can kind of see how this might be playing out in the long run. Well, if you think about aggregation, it's about keeping customers happy or delighting them. And if you can, I mean, uh, in a sense, yes, insurers are playing that role. And there's a, there's the, the old world issues of like the regular, the, the regulatory framework, which is you, you typically needed to get insurance through your employer. But, uh, it's also the case that nobody really loves your, uh, loves their insurer. And if you're able to provide an experience such that people start saying, well, I, I don't want this old insurance company that I never really liked and was forced through my employer. Uh, let's think about this other thing that sits on top of it that's actually much more attractive and can start to abstract away the insurers that sit underneath. That becomes a very powerful place to be. I mean, so so what's so striking about what you said is kind of like the canonical example of a company doing this is Amazon. Like that that's kind of what they do. They 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 own the interface. 
where, where to, I mean, the store is the obvious example. You walk up and you use and you use the Amazon.com. But underneath that, they've built. Then they so on one side they have the interface for consumers. On the back side, they have all the infrastructure for goods. So the the warehouses, the distribution centers, they're building out their logistics network. Mm-hmm. And then there's an opening in the middle for the sort of the providers of the stuff on Amazon.com to come in and and they do all the provision of the goods on Amazon. Amazon still has, you know, it still has a good portion of Amazon.com is stuff that Amazon buys and then they sell it to you. But a, mm-hmm. an increasing amount is other folks coming onto Amazon's platform, on Amazon's infrastructure, selling things to consumer. They buy, then Amazon takes care of sort of all the backend sort of stuff. And, you know, we made this point, the AWS is the same sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Like you don't go buy a server anymore. Amazon sets up all the infrastructure. They do the front end thing, but Amazon's not like making chips. They're still buying chips from Intel. They're still, so buying networking equipment from Cisco or or whoever, I mean, actually all these big data providers, they're kind of going straight to original equipment manufacturers and and, mm-hmm. and not buying branding stuff. But the, the 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 fact remains, they're not like building their own stuff to that because that's not where, like, that's just kind of a commodity game. The more you, you want to make that part into a commodity, sort of modulize the pieces, and then Amazon is building infrastructure and and on the other side. And if they do like the Amazon Go concept, like in the long run, you can see mm-hmm. if they build up the sort of infrastructure and then they have the, the consumer-facing part, are they going to actually make all the items in the stores? I mean, the first one is like that. There's a lot of like Amazon branded stuff and Whole Foods stuff. But in the long run, is that Amazon's game? I don't think so. I think the long run is is third parties provide all the commoditized pieces and Amazon provides the infrastructure and the interface. And so like you see this Amazon doing this again and again, interface and, and infrastructure. And then for for and they're basically a market maker. They're making markets. Mm, yes. And and that's that's what sort of like jumped out jumped out at me about this is like in the long run you can see like would Amazon do this just to save like to cut their own healthcare costs? I don't know if that makes much sense. And there's actually already a consortium of like 29 companies that is banded together to sort of reduce costs and 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 try to deal with this. And why not just join that consortium? Better to have 32 companies than to have than to have three. But 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 if you think about this, why would they go in this direction? Was it just to 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 help themselves? It, that doesn't seem like Amazon. And especially when you look at the announcement, oh, we're going to build these technological solutions. That sounds like building an interface. And it, there, are, and you think about the companies they partnered with. They partnered with Berkshire Hathaway, which what makes Berkshire Hathaway so interesting is not just they have a huge number of employees, but they are an insurance company. But they're not a traditional health insurance company. Like they're not, you know, competing with Blue Shield or United Health or whatever it might be. They are actually the insurers behind the insurers. They insure companies like Blue Health. So that because insurance companies buy their own insurance when, when stuff goes goes truly wrong. And what that means is if something were to come along come along to sort of disrupt this market, th- then you still need the big insurance, but Berkshire Hathaway has nothing to lose if these companies, you know, g- get hurt. And, and you have you know, J.P. Morgan, like the, the capital and, and financing. I mean, it's it, it's so easy to sort of look at this and kind of jump forty seven steps ahead. And, and we'll we'll discuss like why that may be a little dangerous. And there's so many complexities mm-hmm. here. But it, I mean, it, it just it just seems <laughs> it's it's almost scary when I was thinking and writing about this because it just se- it just seemed to like 
this fits almost a little too perfectly in many respects. It does, which also explains the impact on the stocks. There were two things that you said just then that I thought were really interesting and that could really help. One is this notion of a market maker and this idea that if you had someone who had control of the whole ecosystem and set the rules of the game, how you could actually get really interesting competition between providers as opposed to if the ecosystem isn't well managed, then you end up in a very messy place. And I actually think it would be it would be something that's interesting to discuss to understand why incentives are so broken in the current system. But the other thing that came to mind is just this is like an echo of the conversation that we had last week around starting with consumers, building up that consu- that customer experience that consumers love, and then integrating backwards down into like we called it the, the triple moat. And you can see something, uh, you could see potentially something really interesting happening here where they integrate backwards but use technology in such a way that nobody's used before to build something like like a system that that is more effective and more efficient than anything that's available in the states right now so what, what are those incentive problems well, it's it's a really interesting and complicated problem. And I don't want to, uh, like like we said, we're not healthcare experts. But like the interesting thing for me is you have, you have patients, you have insurers, and you have providers. And each of them are kind of at odds with one another. The patient is obviously looking to get the best care, typically in uh, an instance of I'm sick, I need to get healthy. The provider's looking to, I mean, many of them have, again, like we would say about politicians or any of these other folks, they go into these uh, they go into these positions or these roles for noble goals. But the incentive system is such that they make money on a breakage model where. If someone is sick, they make more money. Like if you're in a hospital, uh, like a hospital makes money when someone is in the bed. And then you have the insurer sitting between those paying out, or like they have an incentive to take money from consumers and then try not to pay out. Like if they pay out less money to providers for services rendered, they make more profit. So they have an incentive to deny claims in some instances. And also they get in these negotiations with providers to keep uh, costs down. But that that notion of the three way everybody at odds with each other and different incentives results in some pretty perverse outcomes for example a hospital makes more money when someone stays in it longer and so you you can get in a situation where well perhaps uh if i were to discharge this person and put them in an outpatient clinic that someone else owns overall the system would be better off and this patient would might end up with the same outcome but if we discharge that patient we're not making money so the hospital's incentive is actually to keep the patient there longer and the patient has no real incentive to move because the insurer is paying for it one way or another and it's this notion of these that that's just one example but these interesting tensions in the incentives result in this place where we have what we have today where the US has one of the highest uh, per GDP uh, per capita, uh, GDP per capita spends on healthcare, and the outcomes aren't as good as you'd hope for, given the amount that's spent. I mean, yeah, this is like in in our wheelhouse, right? Look, look at the incentives and and, and look what's wrong. And and what's mm. interesting is, you know, there is, you know, p- folks will point to the U.S. healthcare system and say, well, at the same time, you know, the the fact that there is so much money to be made drives sort of innovation in some respects because <laughs> heaven knows mm-hmm. you'll get paid and and. and 
I, I think it's easy to sort of like to mock that, but I think there is there's something to that too because sure. and this is what makes the topic so so complicated because you have to balance all these sorts of things. And the other issue with the U.S., because the system is what it is uh, and it's really expensive, the result is that lots of folks in the system are very well paid, which means if you're going to change it, th- is that going to result in folks who mm-hmm. were previously making some amount of money making significantly less amount of money? Like, And, and, the, and the, the, the bigger issue, and you just kind of touched on it, is you know, it, it's like a supply and demand issue it, 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 or it's like a pricing issue. If you don't feel the pain of expenditures, if no one feels the pain of expenditures, mm. th- like someone needs to feel the pain at some point. And, and so the pain that's often felt today is your is the insurance company saying no or you can't keep your doctor or you can't do whatever it might be or it might be you know previously uh you were not going to cover you because you have a pre-existing condition like that is that's the pain of the costs of insurance being felt and it's such a warped twisted way to feel the pain on a on a moral level but also just on a systematic level like if you're not feeling the pain directly from costs and the pain is being like squeezed out the side onto Someone who is not co- who insurance companies choose not to cover. It, it's a bad outcome from from all perspectives: moral, economical, e- e- efficiency, whatever mm. you know paradigm you want to use. And what's interesting is how can you bring in sort of some sort of pain? And by pain, I mean <laughs> pain in the context of healthcare is not the best word to use. But but what, <laughs> but what I mean is if there's no sort of limit on what you can get, like if I could if I could get any car that I wanted and it didn't matter, like everyone would, would choose to would choose a high end car, right? There has to be, mm-hmm. like, I mean, it's, it sounds kind of stupid, but the, that's lacking in healthcare. You're right. It's totally in our wheelhouse. And there are a couple of things you said that I want to expound upon, which is this, this notion. And it's, I it's a very valuable mental model to be able to pick up when you're looking at a system, which is these interesting nuances hide behind averages. And I talked about outcomes based on GDP per capita spend, and that's an average, and it hides really interesting things inside of it. I would say on average, if you're a participant in the US healthcare, you should expect better care for the amount you spend. But if you're at the upper end of the healthcare system, if you have a limitless amount of money to spend, the quality of care you get and the innovation that exists here is probably amongst the best in the world. In fact, it, it, it almost certainly is. Right. But just, just, to, add, just to add on that, if mm. you're at the bottom, you're totally screwed. Uh, exactly. Right? Uh, just, totally. Just, like, and, and that's an inevitable sort of trade-off, right? Like mm-hmm. if, you, if you're sort of expanding the range of possibilities, you're not only getting better at the top, you're getting worse at the bottom. And that, that's right. a trade-off in anything. Totally. And the other thing that you touched on around uh, like price sensitivity, which is which makes this conversation difficult in the context of healthcare, is something known as people's uh, like price elasticity. Like if you have a medical condition that is going to result in you dying if you don't get it treated, uh, particularly if you end up in a situation where it's it's a monopoly or there's a limited amount of options that you have for treatment, you'll be willing to pay anything to get it. Uh, just 
because otherwise you're going to die. And that's like one of the other confounding factors around using price, particularly in an unregulated market, because people can take advantage of that. And uh, they do like bankruptcy, like uh, healthcare costs are the leading cause of bankruptcy for the American middle class, which is kind of a shocking statistic when you think that this is like one of the richest and most powerful countries in the world. That's exactly it. And, and, and the you the moral component is so is so critical to to this. And and because you know I I use I kind of flippantly use the car example, but you know I I think we are both feel comfortable saying that no one has a right to drive a Mercedes. You mm-hmm. know, like, and like I mean. And we we've kind of we've broached just a little bit in, the, in talking about things like Uber and surge pricing and along those lines. Like where where does the you know someone should have a right to take something begin, and where does the you know you get what you pay for line come in? And, and you know, in, like we're both we, we're both tend to be proponents of surge pricing because you know the problem is if there is no if there were no surge pricing, it basically becomes a system of whoever gets lucky like it, it devolves to luck and you can argue well luck is more equitable but it's certainly not not very efficient and if most of the time the the need to take a car is it's more of a convenience factor then i mean having a price signal about who is actually willing to pay for that ride is a is it's a good thing in general because it it allows more people to use the cars and the, the people mm-hmm. who actually need it to use it. And of course, you know, one of the responses we got to that episode, this was I think it's been a couple of years since we did that one, mm-hmm. was like, well, what about the woman who's about to have a baby and needs to get a car right now? The issue with that is it's very easy to say, well, of course she should get a car, but but the answer I don't think is to eliminate sort of like surge pricing because the problem is then her chance of getting a car is down to luck. Like ideally we have some sort of dual system where on one hand the scarce resource, which is cars has a efficient way to allocate supply. And on the other hand, we shouldn't be in a situation in society where, where someone in a true emergency can't get the sort of provision that they need. And that's like a separate issue. And it's when you mm-hmm. sort of glom them together that you get, you get, you get a problem in, in that the subsidization and provision is combined with the sort of allocation of resources. And I think that that's kind of what happens in insurance. It, it's all mm-hmm. sort of all glommed together. And so the, the, the moral necessity, and it is a moral necessity mm-hmm. yeah. that people don't go bankrupt because they get sick, gets mixed in with how do we have price signals so that we're just not spending wildly on stuff that's not necessary. This is where it's really important to structure a market well. Like in instances where, you know, if like transportation, for example, it's easier to end up in a market where things work efficiently. But when you start getting, uh, when you start facing life and death situations and huge volumes of money and all the amount of training that goes into being a provider and all the amount of testing that needs to go into a medication and like you start combining all these things and a whole bunch of other factors to together, it becomes super, super, super important to design the system super well, or you do end up in a situation where you have people going bankrupt for exactly that reason. They got sick. Yeah. And what's interesting is, I mean, the US is obviously not not an ideal system for all kinds of reasons. And it's very easy, I think, people will always look at other countries and so, oh, we should be like that, we should be like this. But, you know, there's always, I, I, there's a phrase I always use, like, how do you get from here to there? Like, mm-hmm. you have you have to figure out where you're at. And with the US, there was kind of you know, in, during World War II, the the government uh, 
the administration signed uh, an executive order basically banning wage increases for all intents and purposes. And and the reason they did is because there was obviously a sudden decrease in the available <laughs> amount of manpower because they were all going to war. And and, and so the employ and so the fear was that oh you know what. Prices are going to or wages are going to skyrocket. uh, It's going to be, you know, we're not going to be able to get people in the right jobs because, you know, the richest companies will pay to get the best workers. And so there was a limit put on wages that could increase. But as always tends to be the case when you have sort of top down, (laughs) you know, initiatives like people work around it. They find loopholes. And one of the loopholes that existed was, oh, we could start providing all kinds of benefits that aren't that aren't actual wages like for example healthcare and the healthcare could be relatively extravagant to take care of all these sorts of things and that sort of came up during during the war and then to make it worse the 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 it was made tax exempt where because mm-hmm. it was like it was like an expense so the expense of providing healthcare you don't pay taxes on it unlike you, you would pay taxes on, on on other things and so you you ended up with this system where you know all these other countries with with more universal healthcare and whatever however it might manifest itself and it's not just like single payer is not the only sort of solution there's multiple solutions all over the world there's a there's a great piece that, that you you sent to me in the New York Times kind of comparing a bunch of different systems and they had like a, a playoff but it, it was a good sort of mm-hmm. overview we'll put that in the show notes but but this all kind of sort of came out after World War II when a lot of these countries that are in this article like Germany and France and Great Britain and and like they were sort of like starting from scratch right they were all devastated from war they're basically rebuilding their 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 economies and their countries and they could put in this system sort of starting from from zero i mean one of the things that the u.s coming out of the world war ii is the u.s internally didn't really feel the pain of world war ii the way these other countries did because the war was all across the ocean and so Mm. internally there was never that sort of reset button meanwhile what there was was these distortions that were introduced and, and and the system kind of just just grew it just kind of grew from there it was what it was it's crazy to think that part of the reason we're in this situation is because there was a desire to control for wage increases during world war ii and and regulation introduced for exactly that reason created these distortions that landed us through a a whole bunch of other things to this place right now but what's interesting as you're talking is that it it actually parallels something that we talked about earlier which is I mean, what you just described, those other countries ended up getting to design it from scratch and they're probably in better places and it feels like the US is in a worse place. But in the same way... San Francisco ended up being ground zero for all the ride hailing apps, right? Like Uber started here. And part of the reason it started here was because the situation in terms of transportation or taxis was so bad that people got frustrated. And in much the same way, I I see these waves happen where, and we talked about it in terms of payments too. One country does a reset and designs something from scratch and everything's great. And other countries have these incumbent systems and they just bumble along. But eventually, the gap gets so great that they decide to leapfrog and America had great payment systems and now and China did not. China, like mobile comes along and someone designs mobile payment systems and suddenly payments over in China are fantastic. Same thing with 
San Francisco and and ride hailing. Like the the taxi system here was terrible. I remember coming out here in 2010 or 2009 and trying to get a taxi and waiting in the rain for 40 minutes. And this is the place where Uber springs up. And I would almost make the case that there's a possibility for something like this in healthcare to emerge. And in fact, like you see little instances of it. And Kaiser. So a lot of the questions we got in the mailbag, other than Amazon, were like, "How could you change the incentive system to uh, to reflect the fact to, to to better improve the system? Like, how could you change the incentives?" And Kaiser's a fantastic way of uh, uh, or example of this because they've integrated in different ways, and as a result, have a different set of incentives. Well, just as an aside, uh, I have to say that is the most silver lining on a, on a cloud description of the U.S. healthcare system that I think I've uh-huh. ever heard. How is that? <laughs> like, oh, Uber Uber came along because San Francisco taxis were so bad, and uh, the U.S. healthcare system is so bad that we're going to get something <laughs> even better coming. I mean, along. I, th- I mean, I think there's some truth to that. It's like one of the patterns that's emerged as we've looked at industry after industry. It's like the gap between like people's expectations and where something's at and seeing how other countries are performing it ends up getting so big and like who knows maybe it's this amazon thing that ends up being the opportunity for for the u.s to catch up because like they talk about it in that press release like the state of u.s healthcare is absolutely terrible and it's like that's the kind of we've talked about culture for example like it needs to be before something changes, things need to be bad. And this is, yes, the system is really baked in, but I think there's universal recognition that it's really bad and something needs to change. Uh, it's it's interesting. It certainly would be a very U.S. sort of uh, solution to instead of having the big bad government uh, mm-hmm. institute something, yeah. that we get a big bad corporation to do it uh, right. on, on our behalf. I, it totally would, but again, culturally, it's appropriate. And I mean, we've been we've been big proponents of uh, universal health care, but like it it does require. Uh, a, a cultural compatibility and it feels like i mean there's an extent to which maybe this is starting to be accepted in in the u.s but there is an extent to which people like these things being provided by third parties as opposed to being provided by the government now it's i i mentioned kaiser before and it's something that i want to dive into because i find it absolutely fascinating like we got a bunch of questions around incentives and the way that they've managed to change things is rather than have i mean we talked about the three parties earlier, the patient, the provider, and the insurer. And what Kaiser have done is they've merged the insurer and the provider. So the patient pays Kaiser as an entity, whatever it is, $400 a month. And then it's it's no longer on a breakage model. Kaiser's incentive then is like, I get $400 a month and I need to make sure, like provide this person the best healthcare I can for that amount of money. Or better yet, like the incentive is to not wait for the person to get sick, it's to try to keep them healthy. Like, because if I get to you, if you say have early stage diabetes or are showing signs of getting diabetes, it's not in my, nobody, it's not in my interest anymore to like wait until that happens. It's actually in my interest to get all my doctors looking at the patient population and trying to figure out interventions to keep those people healthy. Because if I do that $400 a month, I'm going to get to keep more of that rather than have to give it away 
paying on medications to, to keep, to manage insulin levels and all the other things that are associated with diabetes, for example. And it's interesting to me because they solve, and, and there are many other different instances. They, they solve the hospital thing. They, they have an incentive to build outpatient clinics, which are lower cost ways of getting people out of hospital sooner, but still can provide the same quality of care. Like the incentive problem is, is solved from the, the perspective of integrating in a different way, integrating in a way that's not being done inside of the US healthcare system right now. I think the way that I would to put it in sort of the context we were talking about before is mm. they are trying to sort of like internalize those pricing signals, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Because yes. if they are charging a set rate to consumers on the front end, then on on the back end, they have an internal incentive to keep costs down. And the way they can do that is not by like limiting the the providers or whatever. I mean, they are limiting, but but by controlling it all internally. And I think it's interesting because I'm I'm somewhat familiar with the similar model from uh, I used to, I did some work for the Mayo Clinic many, many years ago, uh-huh. and it's a similar thing there. Their doctors earn salaries, very very high salaries, but they're not earning more if they treat more patients like they're they're Mm -hmm. not they are incentivized in the same sort of idea where the incentive should be to make the patient better not to choose a route of treatment that also maximizes revenue and i guess the the way what what i think you could sketch out a scenario for Amazon in the long run. Again, this is a lot of conjecture, and we're projecting mm-hmm. many years in the future, just kind of based on what we know of Amazon and sort of the outline of this. Like, what might they do? This is a very much what might happen sort of thing. It's not necessarily a what is going to happen. But you know, if we go back to this idea of Amazon being a market maker, I, it, 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 the way that would play out in this sort of framework is it's a way to externalize the the the, the pain of, of of costs. Like, it should be more transparent how much things cost by being in a competitive market and they're mm. the drive to come down costs is not sort of an internal cost control drive it's an external competition drive where if you yes. want to be picked you have to have better solutions and, and and better outcomes at lower prices and i mean that would be that would be the traditional starting point like you think about what they've done with the stores for example or the, the online store that's how they did it um but uh, you start to then think about what they did with go and what we described yesterday and their their desire and their ability and their patience uh, and and the capital that they have to invest in these types of things, you could start to see them build up moats by investing backwards in ways where it's not just externalizing competition, which I think is critical, but also with something like healthcare. But, but if you integrate it and you own it on the back end, you're able to play around. I mean, we talk about integration and modularity in terms of technical products. And at the start, it's always better to be integrated because you don't know what you don't know and you need to uh, uh, change the way that pieces fit together. And if you are, if you modularize too soon and you get it wrong, there's a serious cost. The healthcare system seems to have evolved a lot since, since when it was first created. And if you're integrated, you're able to do you're able to make innovative investments in things like outpatient clinics and 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 elements like that and you could start to see elements of what potentially again big conjecture but you could start to see elements of what they've done what kaiser has managed to do but layered on top with amazon's technical know-how yeah, well, I think there, there's one more. There's one more really uh, uh, key point here, and this kind of gets at what you were talking about. Uh, I kind of made fun of you with the San Francisco taxi sort of thing, but I, <laughs> I actually think it's more. It, it, there is something to it in that we we talked about how the root of the system was in sort of around the World War II era. 
And mm-hmm. it, it made sense. It, it, the reason not to fix it right away was also the way that the economy worked in the post-war years was you had these huge corporations where everyone worked at and that they were providing health care was fine mm-hmm. because everyone worked for a big corporations. So everyone you know, w- w- was, was by and large taken care of. And something that that I've written about and we've talked about previously is the extent to which it's my sort of belief that this integrated system by integrate, I mean, broadly across the entire economy where you have, you know, CPG companies putting advertisements on television and then putting products in big box stores, and people driving their cars to get them and, you know, and the telecom providers and all these like all these big companies that are actually all very much integrated with each other and are propping up the mm. TV advertising and all these sorts of things that that this in all of them are threatened in different ways, but they are all threatened by the internet and, and whether it be or by technology generally, whether it be self-driving cars, whether it be e-commerce, whether it whether it be uh, uh, whether it be like more niche products, all these all those are also in a, in their own way. The, the fact that Amazon on Amazon, you go on Amazon, you can of course you can go buy some soap from like Dove, which I think is a Unilever brand, or you could buy soap from like some one guy sitting out making his own soap bars and, you, mm-hmm. and he can sit on Amazon. And there are more and more, there are lots of examples of these little providers selling one-off things and Amazon, you can walk up and you, and, and you can, you can do it and you're on the equal plane mm. as everyone else. I mean, this, this is what happened with publishing originally, right? This is what we talk about in the context of Facebook where a, a picture of a baby is given the same prominence as a story in the New York times. And that's, really bad if you're sort of an established provider because you have no sort of like precedence over anyone else. It's really great if you're sort of an an upstart like, you know, Shatekery, I can just set up a web page and post an article on Facebook and that's a great outcome for me. But the, the, the long and short of it is the whole thing's being shaken up. And again, we can have lots of debates about whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. What is, I think, not debatable is whether or not it's happening. It is happening. It, it, it follows from that. If our healthcare system is rooted in that sort of old world order, and if I believe that that old world order is kind of propping all these pieces are propping each other up but it's kind of rotting from the inside and the the whole thing's going to collapse like it's sort of inevitable that that this whole thing is going to collapse at some point anyway whether whether we make changes or not yeah and i mean i think companies like amazon and and uber and so on are part of the reason that that's happening You think about a lot of the people that are potentially selling on Amazon or driving for Uber, these folks are going to want health insurance and they might not be getting it from an existing job uh, right now. And actually, this is uh, like just as you were thinking about, uh, just as you were talking about this, I was thinking, well, actually, the next logical place to potentially extend this to was sellers on Amazon. Like there are people who do this now as a full time job or would want to. Maybe they can't because they can't get health insurance. If Amazon Amazon's actually able to solve some of this problem and do so for its employees. The next logical step in terms of expanding it out isn't perhaps to go out to some big other corporation. It's to start to turn it on for the sellers and let them opt into this as well. Yeah, I mean, it, it, who, I mean, who knows how this will play out? I mean, there is a very, maybe even high likelihood that this sort of sort of peters mm. out, right? And, and nothing actually comes of it, and it's it's. It's too hair. I mean, there's so much stuff on healthcare because, especially in the U.S., you also have like local, like because the states, all the states, the states control a lot of the regulation around this sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So you have to, you have to be 
you, it, mm. you have to be each state has its own different rules and regulations, its own cost structure, and all these sorts of things. And it's just a big hairy mess. And and there's so many pieces that go into it. On the flip side, the, the only reason to almost give this credence, and this is is because it's Amazon and Amazon that <laughs> we talked about this last week, by undertaking the hard work of navigating big hairy messes. They that's the third that's the triple moat that that's that's the third piece. It's not just the software piece. It's not just the network piece. It's it, it's it's not just the vertical integration piece. It's it's this. We actually spent the money to to get it done. And I don't know. Like uh, there's there's one more question that I think is very uh, apropos to this conversation. It comes from Brett Goldstein, which he says, "What companies do you believe analysts read into too much?" <laughs> Every time a large company makes a move, analysts spend a lot of time debating its implications for the larger strategy of the company. But my experience, not everyone is playing four-dimensional chess. And I, th- I certainly think you know there, there's there's something to that. Like sometimes, sometimes companies make make decisions because it's a it's just a short-term decision. Or in a lot of times, mm-hmm. it's it's because of internal cultural reasons. Or you have know, talked about this previously. If a company does something that you think is really dumb and you disagree with, mm. you know, sometimes you, yeah. you, you why are they making that decision? They're, they're they're smart people. Why are they making this decision? And you look inside. Oh, they have business model reasons to make this decision, or they have uh, strategy tax reasons to make this decision, or the, the culture has a blind spot about this sort of issue. But mm-hmm. at the same time, you know. Sometimes they they are playing four dimensional chess. I am acutely aware of that as well. Like it's having been inside big organizations, you'd be shocked out how often these things are run very simplistically, and you, they look so sophisticated on the outside. On the flip side, the tech companies, the people inside of them, are very very smart. And generally, I mean, as someone who is very sensitive to us projecting playing four dimensional chess onto these players. I mean, I don't, I, I don't, I mean, I'd like to think we don't do it. I don't think you do it. In fact, actually, there's one time I thought you might have done it and that was with the Apple Watch and that ended up in a huge argument and we haven't had it since. And I, I don't know if we, if we go back and look at it, I feel like we've, like we've done a reasonable job of sticking to the money because it's, it's like, it's following logical things. It's looking at incentives. It's looking at culture. It's looking at business models and using these things. You're actually able to project why these companies are doing what they're doing or what they might be hoping to achieve and I don't feel like it's that different in this instance but yes I think it's always a good question to ask to make sure you're not just painting four-dimensional chess when really people are just playing checkers well you did say analysts generally you didn't say us specifically so uh, uh. and I think it is fair that that stuff gets read into sometimes too much but mm-hmm. at the same time I will say you know my sort of hesitation I, I woke up this morning with this article feeling a little sheepish it's like I, I kind of like <laughs> I I have ideas and thoughts about like how stuff will play out in like 10 to 20 years, but oftentimes you have so little information, you know, like I, I will make broad, I, I say broad beliefs of that, you know, like the, the, the current economic order is kind of doomed, right? But I'm not going to mm-hmm. sit here and say, oh, next year X company is going to go down and short their stock. Right. Because like right. there's so many confounding variables that that, yeah, that go into that and, and who can ever know and in this case it almost it almost i always felt a little uncomfortable like i'm being pretty specific about one company but but again this company is they they are they do the same thing again and again and in you you take that and you think about the the marketplace that they're proposing to go into and it, it's almost hard to not sort of let your your mind run wild about the possibilities and it's and it's easy 
started sort of like, oh, we're not healthcare experts. And on one hand, that's like a criticism because, mm. oh, we don't know enough about this stuff. And surely there's all these complexities mm-hmm. we're overlooking, which is absolutely yeah. true. So and, and by all means, feel free to fill us in. But we're yeah, we're, we're not also like we're not saying sorry because we're, we're, we're experts. We're telling the <laughs> truth. Uh, at the same time, I think there's an aspect where how many healthcare experts grok how Amazon approaches markets, how Amazon makes markets yeah. and the mechanism in which they do that. And I guess my hope, the reason I kind of want to write this is it just, from my perspective, thinking about how Amazon works and the the announcement that they're going to enter this market and the challenge of this market and also the way they're going to start by building, it seems so modest, by building these sort of like technological front-end solutions. Like it, it was one of those things like I could see how this could play out. It go A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And I feel it on the whim because there's so little that's announced that there's a very good chance I'm totally wrong about this and, and it ends up being not much or it goes in a very different direction than I anticipated. At the same time, I almost feel like there's value in introducing this narrative about how it might go because this could actually end up being a really big deal and it gets into those broader questions like do we want like a private company like being mm-hmm. having this sort of power and influence and and particularly the company like Amazon like where we've talked about they they engender a lot of affection from consumers yeah i mean I, if experience is any guide people probably won't really start asking those questions until it's already too late exactly just be exactly happy to get they'll just be happy to get a new solution. Like I was just happy to be able to call a taxi with with the Uber app. It's it's only now that you start to think, well, hang on, this organization is able to track people where they go. Like when there's intrigue at the White House, people are trying to find out who was catching Ubers to where. Like it's crazy the extent of the power, but you, you often don't stop to ask those questions until it's already too late. As for the point around we're not experts, I mean, this is, again, this is the advantage of having an understanding of, of culture and of motivations and incentives and business models because it gives you a frame of reference to approach these types of things. Even if you're not necessarily an expert, you can have these kinds of insights that you otherwise wouldn't, able, wouldn't be able to have. And in fact, having the detailed understanding of it can sometimes be a drawback. Now, that's not to say that we're going to get everything right. And I'd echo what you said. If we've got stuff wrong, write to us and tell us and like, tell us how we're wrong so we can we can be better informed with like the application of these ideas. The last point I'd make is like, Bezos is going to go down as a, a, like, he's probably not got the product chops of Steve Jobs, but in terms probably. of a man, he, I don't probably. I, I, guess he, he I guess he didn't fire. use a fire phone, which was yeah, yeah, the worst right. consumer electronics device I think I've used in the last decade. But But sorry, continue. <laughs> He's going to go down as one of the all-time great CEOs of history because he has on the business side and the operational side and the way he thinks about the world, the same acumen that Jobs had in terms of telling stories and building products. And I think... I think the markets are right to react that someone who has built an organization like this that is growing in this way that has managed to dominate market after market after market. I think the markets are right to react to this. And I think you were right to write this piece. Like there is something afoot and it might take a decade for it to play out. But I would be shocked if all this extends to is just like like an online glucose monitor for Amazon employees. They're going to do something. And I don't know if they know exactly how they're going 
going to get there, but I bet you their ambitions are big. Yeah, the other thing is not like they they just agreed to this last month and then throw out a press release. Like yeah, there right? there is a there is absolutely a long term multi year plan that has been hashed out for a long time. And, and like you only make this announcement and make it public like if if you think there's something behind it. And and, right. and I guess yeah that that well I'm glad you you're <laughs> I'm glad you thought I should write it. Uh, but but yeah I guess, like take this seriously. And your point about Bezos I think gets at a larger point that that someone someone mentioned this to me and and. It was. I wish I. I can't remember who it was. I'm going to totally steal your idea, but at least I'm going to admit I'm stealing it from someone. But his point was that the the way to think about the issue with these tech companies is, you know, as long as the founders are in charge. And, and again, we've talked about in this context of Mark Zuckerberg, where you know what happens when he's sort of un, you know unhooked from financial considerations in some respects. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, like Mark Zuckerberg is, if whatever you want to say about his vision, he is still bound by his vision and and above all motivated by Facebook's place in the world, not necessarily sort of the financial outcomes per se. Mm-hmm. And, and, you, and it's the same thing with all these companies, with Google, with, with, with Facebook, with, with Amazon. You know, the, the founder being in charge is a curb on the worst sort of outcomes that you can imagine. But what mm-hmm. happens in the long run when these founders are gone? Like you have Google who has information about everybody in the world. Yeah, Larry Page is there. He's not going to like whatever you can say about Larry Page, like he, they're not going to go down that road. What happens in 30 years when there's a different CEO and Google's no longer growing like crazy and they're under financial pressure and 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 they have to actually go further than than they do today or the same thing with Facebook or with Amazon. Yeah, yeah. Jeff Bezos is committed and has this vision and can keep keep it day one to use his terminology in Amazon where we're going to keep prices low and we're going to serve customers. We're going to make customers happy and everything's going to drive from that. And yes, it ends up there are problems on the back end and we've talked about in the context of like book publishers and things along those mm-hmm. lines. But what happens in the future when Amazon has accrued all this power and they, they are basically a monopoly in many of the markets they compete in and now there's a different CEO in charge and yeah, and, and doesn't have that mentality. And it's like, well, we can squeeze more here. We can squeeze more there. And I, I think just the, when I think about the, the problems of power and these companies and why it's worth talking about, what if Amazon actually, actually plays this all out is it's not just a discussion about this year or five years or 10 years. We're potentially having a discussion about where we're going to be in 50 years. Or I mean, mm-hmm. th- that decision in World War II was made 70 years ago. And, mm-hmm. and we are still dealing with the outcomes of it. And it's worth playing out, I think, what could happen with this Amazon initiative because we, the future Ben Thompson, James Allworth might be having a podcast or a virtual cast or whatever it's going to be in 2050 thinking, man, what were those bozos doing in 2018? Mm. Why weren't they thinking about these issues more deeply? Yeah, I mean, if there's one thing that I've started to come around to, and I've been reading a bit of Eastern philosophy, so it might just be all this Confucianism seeping into my brain, but it's like, like there are problems with the private side, and we've talked about them just just like we did then. But there are also problems with the government side, and we talked about how the regulations that were introduced back in World War II 
uh, will uh, like resulted in this mess that we're in today, and nobody saw it coming. The thing is, like inevitably, like I, I, you've made this point before, and I'm, I'm coming much more round to it. We are capable of overcoming these things. Like you, okay, accept where you are and try and make the best of the situation, and also recognize that as bad as things get, sometimes the, the fact that they're bad becomes an impetus for them to get way, way better. So. Your your optimism is slowly seeping into me, along with a little bit of Eastern reading. <laughs> I, I am in the East, so maybe there there is there is a connection there. Yeah, I know. I keep saying this, but I do. I I, I do. I, I hate being like way out on a limb in some respects. It, you know, particularly this like what I'm talking about in this article. It's talking about something that will take like a decade or more to play mm-hmm. out. Right? It's not something that's going to happen in the next year or two. And and again, as we noted, we're not healthcare experts. So making any pronouncements about this area is, you know, I feel I feel I feel very nervous when I feel nervous. That I, I, like I'm literally like like kind of like. Squeezing my hands and acting very weird right now because I, I do feel kind of weird about it. But we are experts on Amazon uh, to the extent one could be, I would, I would mm. like to think. And, and <laughs> this is a company that, again, they've proven it, right? There's any company that deserves the benefit of the doubt sort of among the current crop of, of companies and that deserves to be taken seriously, even if you, can, even if it's not fully spelled out for you, it is this company. Yeah. Uh, well, it's, it's going to be uh, as with, always seems to be the case with these guys it's probably going to be a while to play out and i hope we're still doing a podcast or a virtual cast or whatever it is in 10 years time to like start to see it bear fruit because i'm with you i think it will yeah and the other i mean in the long term obviously you know there's going to be a huge regulatory piece and i get i i've said this earlier in the podcast but i i'm getting a little frustrated where like you there has to be freedom or I'm going to demand freedom to do analysis without having to make a moral pronouncement at the same time, right? Like you can, like you can step back and say, "This is what I think mm. is going on. This is yeah. this is what's playing out." And I don't like. <laughs> so I got an email today. Someone's like, "I, I, I I'm repeating myself. I already complained about this earlier. Like I can't believe you complain about Facebook having power and you don't complain about Amazon. Like, well, like I, this was just a piece about what could play out. I, like, do I have to attach like a disclaimer on every article? Like. <laughs> If if we, I don't know, just a, a frustration I have in general. If we like, it's kind of like the the Uber cab and the person having mm. a baby thing. Like the part about efficiently allocating resources, and the second part about subsidizing people that don't have enough to pay. Like the more we can separate those, the more sort of the better the entire system will work. Right? Once you start glomming everything together, it gets very difficult to to get efficient outcomes and by efficiency i mean efficiency for its own sake i mean efficiency such that we're all better off jointly and i think there's an aspect of this to the sort of like the the demand for sort of moral moral decisions or moral proclamations about everything like if you start combining morality with trying to understand analytically what's going on it gets very messy very quickly because your incentives are getting all mixed up right Mm. and i think there's value in playing out in understanding amazon as it is and once you understand that or once you look at that only then do we do you bring a moral lens to it, and and, and by moral, I'm not necessarily good or evil, but like, is this a desirable thing for mm. society? Is this what we want to have right. happen? Whereas, if that's embedded in the analysis from the beginning, it just it's hard to get clarity on kind of what's going on. 
Totally. I, I mean, I, I was thinking, I've thought about exactly this point twice in the last week, once in a conversation with some friends out in Boston, but another when uh, I was, as I sometimes do, go jump on the review section of iTunes to see what people's feedback was. And someone was making the case that it, we were all, we were, we were fans of profits, super profits and monopolies. And that's not the case at all. Like there's, there are two parts to this and we are probably pretty fluid in moving between the rational analysis and like understand what's going on and then switching into a normative, like, is this good for society or is it bad? But they are distinct things. And just because we go through the process of explaining one, it doesn't necessarily mean that we will attach the normative judgment to it. Like you have to do one before you do the other. Cause otherwise, if you just jump straight to, is it good or it's bad? Like, like the analysis in the first instance is wrong, or it's going to be wrong. Yeah, and the and the, the reason to think about this is something that that I haven't found the way to really articulate this on the site yet. Although I've hinted at it in all sorts of different ways, is if you think through the internet and its sort of centralization aspect, like, and we've talked about this in the context of like the jungle analogy, mm-hmm. where you know there there's an aspect where. Like a company like Amazon, again, it, if you, it's like, oh, should we have one company controlling all, all of commerce in the US? Well, well, no. At the same time, having one platform that anyone can start up some sort of business and go on mm. is like, that's a, that's a good thing. Like, because we need, we need more sort of like entrepreneurial, like we have to unleash, you know, it sounds so mm-hmm. cliche, but unleash human creativity to create the jobs of the future as sort of automations coming along. And, and, you know, I think there's, it's a good thing to discuss, and and by by all means, I have no problem with anyone saying that my normative judgments. Thank you. Normative was the word I was looking for. I kept using it mm. moral. That my normative judgments are wrong, or they disagree with them. But I think impugning a normative judgment onto a piece of analysis. Yeah. I guess that's the that's the that's, the, the, the the point I'm trying to make. Yeah, totally. And I mean, I'm probably guilty of it as well. Like from a normative perspective, after doing the analysis of Facebook, I don't like it. But to dismiss the advantages that it's offered to small businesses and uh, that otherwise wouldn't be able to access advertising, you've got to recognize both sides. And in in recognizing advantages, like that's not the normative part. That's like recognizing their advantages. And then once you've done the pros and the cons, you've done the analysis, then you can put your own lens on it and people can reasonably disagree based on which they think is more important anyhow we were uh forgive the bit of nail nail gazing in an article where we mm-hmm. promised q a and then we went to this uh i do want to say we got a whole bunch of questions a lot of them were really good i i think we 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 are going to do more questions we will we, we'll probably sprinkle them in more episodes and like i said mm-hmm. i think we will do one episode that's just q a the one thing that i think uh there are some questions that are basically like uh either wait if it's if it's a topic that we have already talked about or we're going to talk about, we're probably less likely to to do a question about it. Uh, just as an example, I got several questions about Spotify. Like, oh, what, what do you think about Spotify's IPO? Like, well, I mean, naturally, that's something that I'm going to write about when they release their financial data. And I'm sure we'll podcast about it because that's usually how mm. that link works. Or I got other ones like, oh, you haven't talked about XYZ. I'm like, well, I did just talk about xyz like two weeks ago and uh, i mean like it's fine you only listen to the podcast you don't reach a checkery but like we're not gonna like answer your your question on the other hand we got a lot of questions i think are are particularly interesting on the sort of like meta questions like like Mm. like analysis and strategy we got uh, as i as i thought we got a few business school questions things along Mm. those lines i think the sort of meta questions uh are probably more interesting and and i think what we'll probably focus on when we when we do get to that q a that 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 promised q a episode 
Yeah. And uh, having gone through all of these, the other thing I would ask is like, try and keep the question to a, I mean, if you need context to ask the question, do, but keep it to, to a question uh, and maybe one topic per email. Like if you really want to ask two different questions about two different topics, send two different emails because otherwise we're pulling apart these questions and it gets to be a little bit of a pain. There you go. We, we, you, we, I think we just invited more pain on ourselves. Uh, that's all right. It's like, it's great getting these questions and also getting the feedback. It was wonderful hearing from everybody. It was like, thank you very much, everybody who wrote in with the questions. We'll try to, we will try to get to them. Yeah. And it's important to feel the pain. <laughs> yeah. Because through pain comes growth, Ben. No, through pain comes the efficient allocation of resources, such as time on well, this podcast. That too. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Our thanks to WordPress.com for sponsoring Exponent as they do every week. Again, go to WordPress.com slash Exponent. That's wordpress.com slash exponent to get 15% off your order. And uh, I believe tomorrow we should have a normal week. Uh, it's, like I said, it's going to be a little dicey for, for the next few weeks. I appreciate everyone's patience and bearing with me, both uh, Shashekri readers and, and these podcast listeners. And yes, we will get to more questions soon. Sounds good. I will talk to you later. See you, mate.